Wonderful. Grab a seat. I love, I love this morning. I love how communal that we're being. I just want to make a couple announcements. <clears throat> just a reminder that after the service here this morning, uh, we will head to the park right across the street, uh, Westcrest Park. We'll have uh, games for the whole family, for your children, uh, for the adults. I don't know if Steve is up here. He may have gone downstairs, but Steve Lefke will be, uh, and Andrew. I don't know why I just said Andrew, too. Why not? Uh, we'll be organizing some games of Ultimate Frisbee and, and bocce ball and, and spike ball. And so I ask you to just join us there. Uh, also, on August 17th, we will have an, uh, an all-serve day. It's a Saturday. It's all morning, 9 a.m., I believe, to right around 1, 1 o'clock. Uh, we will be teaming up with other churches in the neighborhood and headed to Highland Park Elementary, with, which is just a couple blocks, uh, one block, actually, uh, from our church, uh, to work on projects. We did this last year. It's just an exciting time to actually be a tangible hands and feet to the neighborhood, that, that we're not just so focused on ourselves and our church, uh, but those in our neighborhood, the families, the children that attend that school, and the teachers, that we may be a gift to them. That's August 17th. It's in your bulletin as well. Please just mark your calendar. Uh, and, and what's exciting about this year is also on that Sunday, August 18th, uh, we as a celebration after church... We'll head to a restaurant in White Center called Anju. Uh, the owner uh, of Anju is part of our community, uh, and he has graciously opened the doors, which is usually not open, uh, to our church to eat good food, to hang out in the patio, to, to bring your furry ones if you want to as well. So it's going to be uh, just a fantastic weekend. That's August 17th is the serve day, and August 18th is the uh, celebration. And so, this morning, we close out Ezekiel uh, in Ezekiel chapter 37. Uh, and next week, we start another summer Bible study on Jonah, and I ask you to be a part of that. I, Jonah is one of my favorite books, uh, especially in the Old Testament. But in Ezekiel chapter 37, it's this famous passage about the Valley of Dry Bones. Uh, now, whether you've been around the church for a long time or not, maybe you've heard of uh, this idea of the Valley of Dry Bones, uh, and here's what the word of the Lord says in chapter 37, starting from verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out of the Spirit, uh, out by the Spirit of the Lord, and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, talking to his God, speaking to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, he said, I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, uh, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. And in moments of dryness, of even a metaphorical death, that you breathe life into us. And so for many who are experiencing this, God, may you 
bring hope and gladness to their souls. I don't know everybody's stories, but everyone comes with one. And so God, may you enter into those stories. Will you redeem? Would you heal? Would you bring restoration? In your name we pray. Amen. So a few years, a few years ago, uh, my friend and I, we went to Glacier National Park uh, to go backpacking. It's one of my favorite places uh, in the world. I have a friend who is from uh, that area. Uh, and it is honestly, when you go there, it's breathtaking. When you look at the trees, when you think, look at the mountains, when you look at the trails, you just know that God's hand uh, of creativity was all over this. And I remember uh, my friend Dan and I were hiking and, and we we're backpacking for uh, about five days. Uh, and one of the days, or a couple of the days, we parked our car and we did uh, uh, a, car camp, a night of car camping. And in this night of car camping, what we did was uh, we set up shop, we set up our tent, uh, and we decided to do a day hike. It was a little bit longer, it was about 15 to 17 miles, uh, but knowing that we were going to come back down, uh, we left pretty much all of our gear at our campsite. So we took a little backpack, we took some water for what we needed, we took some snacks, uh, and we were ready to go. And on our way up, we realized that of all the days that we were there, uh, that that particular afternoon was much sunnier, much warmer, uh, and, and a little bit more painful because of the elevation gain, because of the sun, uh, because of uh, all those elements. And I remember we were almost to the top, uh, and we were getting really excited that we were going to see the views, see the mountains, and again, see all of God's creation through nature. And as we were going up, we were just drinking a lot of water, and we, and we said, you know what, uh, it doesn't matter, we'll drink all the water. We bought, brought our water purifier to go into the water and, and refill for our pathway down. Uh, and as we ran out of water, I look into my bag, and I look for that water purifier. Hi. <laughs> and lo and behold, it wasn't there. And I thought, no worries. Dan, you must have the water purifier. Will you look in there because we're thirsty, we're warm. Would you get the water paper out so we can get some more water? And he says, sure. So he goes into his bag and he goes in to look for the water purifier. And lo and behold, it's not there either. And we both start to panic because uh, assuming that we had it, we just kept on drinking the water because it was a hot and warm day. We go to the top and we realize we're about seven miles uh, back down with no water. And so, well, we had no choice. We had to go down. And as we go down, we go down, we felt thirstier and thirstier, we felt hotter and hotter, and we felt like the last two miles was the longest two miles of our lives. And I remember thinking that the beautiful view that we saw, the wonderful trees, the skyline, the, everything that we saw was being overshadowed uh, by the thirst that we were experiencing. The dehydration that we were experiencing was being uh, so powerful in our lives. It was overshadowing all the good things that were happening and that we were seeing. It was almost like life was being sucked right out of us due to the dryness, due to the heat, due to, due to the lack of water. And, and I look at that experience, and though you may have not had that same experience as I have, but I promise you this, many of us, if not all of us, have experienced this season of dryness. 
Uh, I bet that you and I, though our experiences are vastly different, that we have felt the same dryness that maybe I have felt even on that hike down when we're thirsty, when we have no water, when we feel like there's no hope because life is just being sucked out of us. I bet many of us, if not all of us, have felt that before. A hopelessness. And this dryness, as my hike down, as as a thirst, as the warmth that I felt, this dryness, this metaphorical dryness in our life is so visceral when you're in that season. It's almost like you can feel it in your skin. You can feel it in your body. You, You can definitely feel it in your soul that there's something going on in your life that's causing you, and I've experienced this too, a season of dryness of death, this metaphorical death, of loneliness, of of this feeling of no way out, just like that warm day that I experienced on the way down that hot mountain. And not only that, it feels like there's no answer, there's no solution, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Again, our experiences are vastly different. It It could be an actual death. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe there's a broken relationship, maybe a broken friendship, maybe a broken family tie, maybe loneliness that results in depression and anxiety, which is uh, escalating more and more throughout the years. Maybe it's financial hardship, a loss of a job. Maybe it's a crushed dream. Maybe it's wrestling and navigating through addiction. Maybe it's just the hopelessness that we feel in our world, in our society, when we watch the news of the brokenness in our own community. Whatever it might be, personal, collective, communal, and we have all experienced together this element of dry bones, this element of heat and thirst that is so visceral, and it feels like pain, it feels like loneliness, it feels like isolation. And this is exactly what Ezekiel is talking about right here. This is what Ezekiel addresses. Right away in verse 1, it says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. You have to understand this word spirit is the word ruach. It's a Hebrew word that was all the way from Genesis. It's the same spirit that brought creation into existence. And the same spirit goes to Ezekiel. I don't have time to dissect the, the context that's in uh, previous sermons, but due to Israel's inept leadership, due to their, uh, their hard hearts, due to their disobedience, uh, they were taken into exile. And as they were taken into exile, the kingdom of Israel was divided into two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Both kingdoms end up being uh, slaves to another nation. Uh, the northern kingdom being taken in captivity by the Assyrians. The southern uh, kingdom, which is what uh, we're talking about this morning, was taken under Babylonian uh, captivity. And, and while they're in exile, while, while uh, Ezekiel and the Israelites are in exile in Babylon, they're suffering right now because they know that they belong in Israel. That's their life. That's their home. That's where they grew up. And in Israel is the temple. 
And we may never understand the significance of the human connection with the temple in ancient Near Eastern history, but you have to know that there was such an intimacy between the two that a loss and a separation and even a loss of proximity with the temple is a loss of life. I mean, you want to talk about dryness. You want to talk about desperation for thirst for water. That's exactly how they felt when they were so far away from the temple. And what we see significantly in Ezekiel chapter 33, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, is that finally the temple has been taken down by the Babylonians. And that's extra painful. That's beyond heartache for the Israelites. And as Ezekiel was in exile by the river, it says the Spirit of the Lord came and gave, them, uh, and gave him visions of why this is happening, of what was about to happen. And even in previous chapters, God goes up to Ezekiel while in Babylon and said, okay, you are away right now from Israel. And I have to tell you, because uh, of your disobedience, something's going to happen at home. There's going to be destruction and the temple is going to be taken down. Yes, there's an element of hope saying, but that will not have the last word. But for now, Ezekiel, you have to know that while you are in exile, what's happening back home is not good. And in fact, what happens here in Ezekiel chapter 37 is interesting. The Spirit of the Lord came, and the Spirit of the Lord, God, takes Ezekiel on a spiritual journey, like he's being transported. It's not like uh, they're all of a sudden back into this valley or back in Jerusalem. Uh, God gives Ezekiel this vision uh, of what it's like now. Like, have you guys ever seen like old sitcoms like Saved by the Bell? I mean, I might be dating myself right now, but it's one of my favorite shows of all time. Or, or uh, uh, Family Matters. Uh, or your favorite of mine, Golden Girls. Like, if you've seen any of these old sitcoms, I don't know what it is about these sitcoms, but every Halloween, uh, they have like a Halloween episode. And it's where this angel figure goes to whatever, the main character, uh, and says, because of your behavior, because of the way you've been living, here is the way that your life will unfold. And all of a sudden, it goes blurry, and it's like a dream, even though uh, the character is asleep or, or just sitting there. This angel figure kind of walks the character along and says, because you did this, this will happen, this will happen, and this will happen. And then they wake up, and suddenly life changes. Uh, I don't know about you. Maybe I watched too much TV growing up, but that is the first thing that my mind goes to is that the spirit came to Ezekiel and says, because your people were so disobedient and so unfaithful to God and God's covenant, uh, here's what's going to happen. And then you can imagine the, the, the scene getting blurry. Uh, and God saying, Ezekiel, this is what life is like. Takes Ezekiel to a valley of dry bones. In verse 2, it says this. It says, he led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. Bones that were very dry. This was the state of Israel. This is the way that God decided to describe what Israel was like, Ezekiel and Ezekiel's people. 
And, and the scene was meant, when we read this, we may just overlook it. We may just read right past it because we don't understand the ancient Jewish uh, history and the ancient Jewish lens. Uh, but the scene was meant to be very, very grotesque. Bones of corpse rotting away, decaying, even being chewed up by other animals. See, the writer here, Ezekiel, is invoking a sense of disgust, a sense of absolute hopelessness. So you have to understand this culture that bones that were not buried, bones that were visibly shown, was a sign of disgrace. And the land would be considered, wherever those bones were exposed, that land would be considered defiled. Because it was a symbol. Bones was a symbol of defeat, uh, presumably by another military force. And bones were left out out of uh, defeat and humiliation. And so to any Jewish reader, when they see that there were exposed bones, immediately the first thing that comes to mind is disgrace. It is utter hopelessness. In fact, the word bone in Hebrew is a word etzem. And it means, yes, literally, this idea of a skeletal structure. We all have bones. But also in the ancient lens, bones was uh, defined as one's essence. Life. Not just breathing, not just a respiratory breathing, but that you would experience life and life abundance. That bone was a symbol of not just our skeleton, but our essence in being. And so in Genesis chapter 1, when God created Adam and Eve, it says that Adam and Eve, this is my flesh of my flesh, my bone of my bone. This is God's flesh, physical, and internal essence, bone of my bone. And so God takes Ezekiel to the valley of dry bones where uh, death is only to be seen, where the essence of humanity is missing, completely obliterated. There isn't a single hint of life. Like this is where uh, the author wants us to see is that well, when, we, when we read about dry bones, very dry bones, the, the essence of humanity is gone. There's no life. There's death. All there is is thirst and desperation and lifelessness, which also means hopelessness, something that perhaps we've all felt before. And I love after uh, God sets all this up, he takes Ezekiel to this, describes this utter hopelessness, God asks Ezekiel a question. And the question is this, mortal or Ezekiel, can these bones live? Can these bones live? And I want you to just put yourself in Ezekiel's shoes, God takes Ezekiel into the valley of dry bones where all there is is nothingness, no essence, bones of just humiliation and disgrace and lifelessness. And God looks at Ezekiel and says, look around. And we all know what God is talking about when God talks about dry bones. Ezekiel knew exactly what was happening, what God was doing. And God, at the end of that, says, can these bones live? Can there be life? Can there be essence in what you see here? And the obvious answer is, of course not. Of course not. And I love Ezekiel's 
response was very diplomatic, was very nice. He says, oh, Lord God, you know. Some translation, only you know. Only you know, God. Ezekiel doesn't answer. Ezekiel doesn't say what is obvious and what is obvious is that, of course not. God, you know just as well as I do, valley of dry bones means that there is no possibility for life. There is no hope. But Ezekiel's being kind and says, oh, Lord, you know. You know. In other words, God, you already know the answer. There's no way. And we look at these verses in this chapter, and I really feel like there's something that you and I can resonate with. When we look at the places that are dry, that are like deserts in our lives, and the ultimate question God asks us is, do you believe that I can do something? In your circumstance, in your situation, whatever that fill the blank is, loneliness, depression, anxiety, addiction, fear, whatever that might be, the question is, O mortal, O Ezekiel, O you, O Prentice, do you believe that out of nothingness, that you believe that there's no hope, do you believe I, God, can bring life into your situation? Oftentimes our answer, no matter how you put it, is no. Is no. Can your financial situation improve? Will your health recover? Will your relationships get better? Will your children know Jesus? We have all these questions that we struggle with, that we navigate through. And we want to say yes, but we don't know. And for many followers of Jesus, uh, yes, the answers to the questions matter. These questions matter. We want answers. Can our financial situation get better? I hope so. I want that answer. Will my health get any better? I hope so. I want that answer. Will my relationships get better? I hope so. I want that answer. But at the deepest level of these questions is not necessarily just the answers to the question, but what we're confronted with, consciously or not, is another question. A question of God, are you real? God, are you powerful? At the end of the day, yes, we want answers to all of our questions, but at the end of the day, the deepest level of questioning is, God, are you real? Do you care? Are you telling the truth? Now, we can go into a rabbit hole this morning about the problem of evil and suffering, uh, but I don't want to do that this morning. It's a whole different sermon of its own. Uh, but I will say this. I love what Dallas Willard, he's one of my favorite authors, uh, he has a book called The Divine Conspiracy. Uh, I always tell people if I was stranded on an island and I was only allowed one book, of course it would be the Bible, right? Because that's the pastor thing to say. Uh, but if that didn't count, I would bring The Divine Conspiracy uh, by Dallas Willard. And he says this, referring to an 18th century philosopher named David Hume. He says, uh, David Hume, who was well known for his skepticism of God, says, if your God uh, is big enough, there is no problem of evil. And so, just side note, when you think of evil, think of any sort of suffering. That's the key. Jesus affirms that in our lives, uh, and, we go, and we can go on from that and experience the goodness of God as we face each new day. Dallas Willard continues, he says this, I love this part, it says, the Christian faith is committed to a picture of God 
in the world that makes every event ultimately redeemable and therefore permissible by a personal God who is both willing and able to nurture into being a creation that cannot be improved upon. It does not hold that every event is good in itself. Bad things, even horrendous moral evils, uh, can come to pass. But in the vision of Jesus Christ, communicated to his people, all human beings, and yes, even the sparrows and the lilies, are effectively cared for. He ends with this. Every person is invited to say in faith and obedience, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, in our powerlessness of what is happening in our world to us directly or indirectly, we can find peace in the one who does have power. That is the commitment in our covenant with God. See, what you have to understand about peace Again, it's not just this absence of conflict, but it's just utter what the Hebrews would call shalom. Uh, This harmony from head to toe between God and person and between God and humanity and others around. That we can actually experience that kind of peace even in the midst of external circumstances that may not be in our favor. But listen to this. Peace can never, ever, ever be found within ourselves. I know that that is controversial, and I love, again, I talk about The Second Mountain all the time by David Brooks, one of my favorite authors, uh, and he talks about this, and I don't even know if he's a Christian, like, but he talks about that peace can never be found within ourselves, but in the Christian context, peace can only be found in our obedience. Again, David Brooks, he says, suffering shatters, absolutely shatters the illusion of self-sufficiency. Suffering is a reminder that regardless of what desert season that we're in is a reminder that to do it alone, to do it yourself is only an illusion. And for us as followers of Christ, what we have to believe is that A, that is true, that we cannot go through the desert by ourselves. Whatever you're going through, you cannot do it alone. Uh, Secondly, yes, you need community to be a part of it, but first and foremost, above all things, we must attach ourselves to, in our powerlessness, to a God who has all power. And to do it alone would be completely foolish and delusional. And even in our desert moments that we might be experiencing, even this very second, We're filled with uncertainty. We don't know what's next. But what is true and what we can be certain of is the way in which we can show up. I love that. No matter what season that you're going through, no matter what heartache you're experiencing, no matter what brokenness that you may be feeling towards and with others, uh, which leads to uncertainty, what is true and what is certain is you get to choose, I get to choose and decide in which way I want to show up to the, what Brene Brown would call the arena. The arena of hardship, the arena of pain, the arena of whatever that is. We get to decide who we want to be and who gets to show up on our behalf into the arena. 
And the question is, do we choose the path of endurance? Do we choose the path of obedience? As Dallas Willard says, that it's through obedience that we can experience Christ's transformation. Or, and this is a question I have to ask myself, uh, and I ask, you know, many of the people that I counsel and to meet with is, does our faithfulness to God, our obedience to God, become contingent on God's favor to us? Does our faithfulness to God become contingent on God's favor to us? In other words, as long as things are going my way, and I do this, I do this so much, as long as things are going my way, everything is all good. But the moment that I feel like God fails me, the moment I feel like things aren't going my way, the moment that I enter into this desert moment, this desert season, I self-select out of the arena. In a world of contracts, in the West, in our society, in a world of contracts, we've lost the meaning of covenant, of covenant. And I love Ezekiel. All throughout chapter 37, uh, Ezekiel demonstrates what it looks like just to be obedient, to choose obedience when everything is going wrong, when, when he and his people are being exiled, or when his land is being taken over, when the temple is crushed. And when all he sees is dry bones, and dry bones to him just means utter hopelessness and utter disaster, even in the midst of that, what does does Ezekiel choose to do? Ezekiel chooses to be obedient. In verse 4 it says, Then God said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will create tendons in you and, and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and to put breath in you. We read that. And so what does it say in verse 7? What does Ezekiel do? It says, so I prophesied as I had been commanded to do. And then later in the verses, God asks the same thing. And then will you prophesy and say this to your people? And in verse 7, it says, it says, so then I prophesied as I was commanded. And all throughout scripture in this chapter, that's what it says. It says, God says that even in the midst of your skepticism, in the midst of your pain and whatever you're going through, I want you to do this. In Ezekiel's response, and so I did. And so I did. Ezekiel has every reason to just lay in the sorrow of hopelessness, to check out. Yet, Ezekiel's answer and response was a complete opposite. Ezekiel decided to show up as a person who would be obedient in his powerlessness to the one who has the power and was faithful to God even when his own circumstances was not good. It was terrible. Will you decide to show up? Will you decide to be obedient? Will you decide to be faithful to God no matter, no matter what your circumstances may entail? And I'll just have to be honest with you. For some of us, the resolution to our desert may or may not find resolve in our lifetime. 
and may come on the other side of death as we enter into eternity with Christ, as Christ renews all things. And I just have to say this. This is not a platitude, but it's the Christian hope. So many times when we say like, oh, don't worry, you're going to go to heaven and everything's going to be awesome. And I'm like, yeah, but what about right now? And I understand that. But we all know that when we decide to be followers of Christ, it doesn't automatically mean that life will be perfect, all your problems will be fixed, you'll never experience desert ever again. In fact, if God promises anything, God promises that. But God doesn't leave us there. God says, in the midst of that, I will bring you out. I will bring you out in verse, chapter 37, verse 11. It says, then he said to me, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. That's what God is acknowledging. This is how you feel. This is what you're saying. Therefore, prophesy to them. So all the people from Israel or Israelites are saying, we can't do this. We're completely cut off. We're completely hopeless. And God's like, I understand that you're saying that. But Ezekiel, will you remind your people of this? Say to them, thus says the Lord, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves. Oh, my people, I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open up your graves and bring you up from your graves. Oh, my people, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I am the Lord have spoken and will act, says the Lord. There's a promise that we cling to as followers of Jesus. That God never leaves us. That God never uh, gives us nothing to endure the desert that we're going through. It says, fear not, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And as we choose to be obedient and faithful, the promise that we have in Christ is rest, something that we sang about. It says, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yoke was an illustration of oxen being yoked together. And the invitation here this morning is in the midst of your desert, will you not attach yourself to your circumstances, but will you attach yourself to Christ? And as we are yoked with Christ, the burden becomes light. And what Paul says in Philippians, it says that God will give us a peace that transcends all understanding. And God says, I will give you breath. I will give you breath and you shall live. And it's not just this life where we're just walking and just breathing through our bodies. But God promises that even in your desert moment, that that desert moment does not have the last word. But the spirit of life will enter into you out of your obedience and faithfulness to God, even in the most horrific times, the driest times, and the warmest days of your life. Your transformation may not be in your experiences, but it will surely be in your souls.
And we've seen this. We've seen this over and over again. People who in our standards, who we think should be, should be unhappy, are some of the most joyful people in the world. And the people that we feel like have it all oftentimes seem the most anxious, depressed. God changes maybe, maybe not your circumstances, but certainly our souls, our minds, to endure and to be able to find peace and joy that transcends all understanding. And as I invite the band back up as we close, I encourage you and invite you to name the season that you're in, to name the the thing that's causing you to be in the season of desert, utter hopelessness, utter dryness, utter lifelessness. And, And whatever that season is, Whatever that entails, God is asking all of us, including myself, mortal, do you believe I can do something about this? Do you believe that I can change your life? Do you believe I can bring essence back into death? And maybe God is not asking for us a yes or a no to that question, but God is asking us just to be obedient. You may even believe no. You may even believe, and many of us do for being honest with ourselves, no, but maybe our role is just to be obedient. Be obedient. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the brightest and the darkest moments of our lives. And we ask that you help us to endure, to give thanks, to pursue you in all circumstances. And there we find peace and joy. God, whoever has entered this room that is in that desert moment where they are in the valley of dry bones and you ask them, can I do something about it? God, may our answers be a resounding yes. Yes, yes, you will, you can, and you're able. May we believe that, may we know that. Whether that happens now or in our next life, as we spend eternity with you, may that be more than enough. In your name we pray, amen. Let's continue in worship.